Welcome to the Irish News Podcast. This is Mr. Fox. The subject matter we're about to get into is very delicate and very sensitive and is for mature audiences only. In this upcoming episode, we talk about mental health and mental illness in real time. And we navigate so many of the various nuances that you will experience when you suffer from mental illness. From the issue at hand for the day, to how do we get through it, and what are our next steps. And we also unpack past traumas and past experience and tie that to our current experiences. So please get some popcorn and some wine and listen to the latest episode of the Irish News Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Irish News Podcast. I am Mr. Fox, a.k.a. Anita Baker's Hot Comb, and you are listening to the Irish News Podcast. If you've been listening to the Irish News Podcast thus far, you will come to realize that I suffer from mental illness um, and a myriad of different things within under that umbrella. You know, I've been suffering, to my knowledge, from this since the age of 17, and I believe I touched on a breakthrough that I had a couple of years ago, and from that breakthrough, realizing the core of such, you know, so many experiences and my inability to cope and the disconnect from reality and such. And it essentially stems from unchecked expectations placed that I've placed on myself, uh, the inability to feel like I can't come through, um, and kind of combing that over with overachieving and setting high standards and setting high expectations for myself. Although I've suffered from mental illness for close to 30 years, almost, to my knowledge, um, you know, a lot of things go unchecked and unacknowledged that None of it can can prepare you for what you know. What's the best way to prepare for the next episode? How to overcome it? Um, how you can best handle the slightest inconvenience before it becomes something big? And you just never go from day to day into each day thinking, "Oh well." you know, this is going to happen, this is how it's going to go, um, you know, in the past four, four or so months, I've had two separate incidences where I am not myself, now, mind you, none of none of the incidences in the totality of my experience or my journey with mental health and mental illness has resulted in harmful, uh, sabotaging, reckless, uh, offensive behaviors towards anybody else um, of a physical nature. Um, When I say I've lashed out, these two separate incidences, including one this morning, it's, I'm just talking and venting my frustration out, and during the course of that, I forget my manners, my decency, my uh, respect level as far as how I talk to and treat other people, Um, and It's a bubble, a mental and emotional bubble that I'm in until the 
the goal is accomplished. And I just slowly come to and I have a breakdown. Like, I emotionally break down. I feel horrible. Um, you know, the second time this morning, you know, it start, the morning started off like every other morning. You know, I got up at a decent amount of time, got enough sleep. I was feeling pretty good. Um, the work day had started. I went somewhere up the street to get breakfast for my boyfriend slash partner. Um, ran by his job to drop it off. Now, mind you, I didn't park, but the car was in park. Um, and I gave him the food, the car was still running, the heat was still running, the radio was still on. I go to say goodbyes, close the window, you know, close the window shut. Go to put the car into drive and the car shut off. And, you know, I previously had a car issue the weekend before. Not the weekend that just passed, but literally like a little over a week prior to today uh, with one of my tires. But it's a similar situation where it's like you start off the day with, you know, like any other day. And it's one unexpected thing. Like, oh, you know, your tire is completely flat the next day. Or today, your car just decides to be stupid and shut completely off. And then on top of that, not unable to come back on and you're in the middle of a parking lot not only any like not in the middle of a parking lot but also like in the way um car won't come back on you go you're trying to figure out what the hell to do it's because it's like do i really want to go through roadside assistance again because you know, you go whether you go through insurance or you just call a record service directly, it's still the same amount out of pocket. Do you really want to repeat that headache from last week? Then it's like, well, do you want to uh, at least get a jump first and get into a dealership? So... You know, I put in a request for a jump. That comes in like 15, 20 minutes. Call my boss and tell him that I need the rest of the day off because I don't know where this may take me. But also, I was like, let me go ahead and put in a request for a tow truck in case this jump doesn't work. Now, although I had my own jumper cables, um... I was not in a position to pull other people where I was into the situation. Um, got the jump going, but still need to figure out, okay, am I going to take it to the dealership? If so, which one? Well, nobody had planned for like these dealerships to come, come back and say, oh, well, you know, we're not we're booked, we can't, you know, we can't take walk-ins for like a month or so. But I got the jump the first time, got all the way to the dealership, the first dealership. Um, they can't take any walk-ins for like another month or a week. That's how far behind they are. Even though a person in front of me just filled out a form and did an overnight drop, but whatever. Called for it directly the service, uh, the customer service department to see if 
these parts or whatever were going to be covered. Just to cover my bases. Because at this point, I didn't know what the hell was going on with the car. Um, I just went off of theories. People were like, oh, it could be the alternator. It could be the battery. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it wasn't covered. So I was like, okay, I got to prepare myself for the possibility that these repairs will be out of pocket. First dealership couldn't take me. Can They can't see new cars for like another month. I'm like, look, got Thanksgiving coming up, got Christmas coming up, not going to risk it. But they referred me to other dealerships, two of which were not in town. So it was it was a crazy day. Um, ended up going to a uh, to a place that his coworker referred me to, but the phone number did not match the address. Come to find out, the address took me out of town, but the phone number took me to a place that was literally down the street from where I was. Didn't know that at the time. But I kind of, like, at some point, I kind of felt like this was just an omen that, well, A, I shouldn't have left the house, and B, like, should I even be here? You know, I said earlier, you know, it just, there are little droplets of escapism and feeling like maybe the universe is telling me things that point to I shouldn't really be here. You know, the first couple of months, um, you know, there was a lot of change in May to June uh, where I put my first house, well, it was my only house, uh, for the past four years um, on the market after a claim with the state for monies was denied, which that in itself was a three-year process. Got the denial in March, got an agent in April, had a course of action in place um, to get the house to a presentable standard for showings. Um, Full disclosure of everything, what the issue was, uh, listed it in late April, got an offer in mid to late May, um, accepted the offer, hired the asking, moved in June out here. First couple of months, it was just adjusting to a lot of change, selling the house, uh, living with somebody for the first time, seriously, in six years, um, and moving away from a place that I'm from, away from connections, away from people I know, further away, um, and adjusting to a new environment, um, you know, a larger city's faster pace, everybody's more alert, everybody's more conscious, to a smaller area where it's like an older crowd, People move slower, people drive slower, people are a little bit more oblivious. Not usually my style or my taste, but you know, I've known I'm known to do things for people that I believe in. Um but the ironic thing is, given that I've moved around all my life growing up and then going to the military and moving around a lot you would think it was easier for me to just go with the change. But for whatever reason, the first two or three months, I was just not able to. Um, I was more irritable. I was more uncomfortable. I was just, I wanted to be by myself more than ever. Um, And that's not easy to do in an apartment that's less than a thousand square feet 
maybe give or take five to seven hundred square feet, one bedroom, one bath, two people. And you know, the other person essentially doesn't have an outside social life. Like goes to work, comes home, and he's here all the time. Um, and it's not easy for me. Um a downsizing from a large house to a small apartment and then on top of that someone's constantly under you all the time mind you we're in a pandemic that's forcing companies and jobs to go remote hybrid telework what have you um i've been on that plan since last march 2020. he's been intermittent um I didn't really have to deal with it prior to the move because he lived elsewhere. But yeah, I need my space and I need my peace um, and to be left alone, you know, and even more so now, which is crazy because I still have those moments of cabin fever, but I don't need to be around people. Um, But finding that motivation and finding that will to keep going and keep busy and be creative and have some kind of outlet of your own. Um, it's not easy, but this morning really, really, it really hit me that I am not processing I'm not good at processing panic. And I thought I was well on my way uh, since my therapy sessions from a few years ago, where through some REM exercises with my doctor at the time, uh, where it was, it's kind of like a hypnosis scenario where you as you follow the moving um, the moving lights from left to right, right to left, um, which are on a, a speed dial or a speed control, he slowly but surely kind of um, cues you up, I guess, mentally or cognitively, uh, to the a particular traumatic event that we've talked about in previous sessions leading up to that point. Um, and as he goes from question to question, he either slows up the speed of the moving lights or he speeds it up. And as the questions go on, you're essentially forced to face what you experience then. In my case, I was like 11 years old. And um, it was just a routine night, any other school night, you know, go to school. Then I go to, back then they had what's called Police Athletic League. Um, They were big in like the 80s and like the early to mid 90s which was like an after-school spot ran by uh, the local police. And, um, you know, you had people connected to the school, the school community in the neighborhood that worked there. You had older high school kids that went there, and kids my age in middle school. Um, And then you had, like, kids that, like, would pretend to be cops and, get like a thrill off of that kind of shit. Um, so we would go there for a couple of hours and I would come home around 8, 30, 9 o'clock uh, as an 11 year old, 11, 12 year old. Came to the house just like I normally did. You know, me and my mom and the same people that had been, I guess, staying there. It was almost like a, a transient bus depot, bus station, like, you know, where people just 
come to get buses, catch a bus to another city. Uh, but if it was delayed, they would just stay there until the next next time. And this that had been like a common thing where throughout the school year, you know, it would be me and my mom, and from time to time it would be like five to ten people to maybe two to five people to maybe six to twelve people at any given time around the clock. And it would be random people all the time. Um, and this particular night, all that was left for a while were these same, you know, probably like the same for black people, right? Um, came in to the apartment, did my homework, ate, showered, took a bath or whatever, went to the back bedroom to watch TV, and the door was partially open, and I was watching TV, not even like an hour, it was probably like 9, 30, 10 o'clock, I heard a large boom, my mom screamed, I go run to try to hide, because I'm like, okay, we're probably getting like burglarized, or some shit going on, um, there was no other way out, except through the front door, which is at the opposite end. And before I could even breathe my next breath, I had maybe a group of large white men in SWAT gear, um, army color, bulletproof vests, uh, they had the Kevlar helmets and the semi-automatic weapons with the red line sights aimed at me. I'm in a white t-shirt and underwear. And I, what I can make out beyond the gaggle of police lights, police flashlights, were these men. Um, didn't know what the fuck that was about. So that was the event and you know it's funny that we can go on with life so long feel like we're okay nothing's really amiss do all these great things but never seem affected or look affected or feel affected but it's always there. And um, imagine, you know, I realized I had a fear of guns because of that. Um, there was a couple of weapons in the house that I remember, aside from like a crossbow, but also a gun. And somebody was foolish with it and it fell. I thought it was going to go off, so I ran out the room. Um, but, yeah, it's funny that, like, that, although that had happened at 11, that I didn't, like, face that until later on. And, you know, I went to the military when I was 17, and, you know, things did not turn out the best um you know there's a lot that they don't tell you going to your first duty station as like a low-ranking enlisted person that um some people officers or enlisted still have that uh that basic training approach and some people are like really gung-ho um, and because of that, they, they sniff out a target or a project, um, and nine times out of ten, it was me. Um, and with that came a lot of line stepping, a, a lot of boundaries crossed, 
um, a lot of people feeling, I guess, justified or valid in being so bold and being arrogant and crossing those bounds with their rank. I believe in a previous episode I talked about in just the first year, you know, I did the basic training and I did the technical school where, you know, they take, they send you to learn about your job and study and qualify and all this other stuff. Just essentially to do office work, which, okay. Not even, that's all within the first two or three months. So that's included in the first year. So by mid-2001, I had already been in the actual job uh, at my duty station for not even uh, six months yet. And, you know, when you're a no-rank airman, you're not making a whole lot of money. Um, And you're essentially... The clothes you have as far as your uniforms is essentially what basic training gives you. So you don't have much by way of uniforms and all the necessities with that. I remember I went to work one day. I went to work one day. And I had on, um, it was BDUs, you know, the black, brown, greens. And at that time, you had an option of wearing either a brown shirt or a black shirt underneath your your BDUs. And I had a black shirt, but it had a Woodstock uh, design on, on the front. But I kept my BDU top buttoned up all the way past that point. And I went in, was doing my job, and, you know, the major, our squadron commander, it came over for like an impromptu visit to speak with the captain, who I believe it was the woman at the time. Both her and the senior master sergeant were gone. It was just me and another Aaron in the administration office across the hallway. He popped in, um, didn't really say a whole lot, and uh, was about to head out back into the hallway, which by that point, the CMS sergeant was behind his desk talking on the phone or whatever. And um, he kind of doubled, the major kind of doubled back. And I was standing at my desk, but I was on the other side working on the the inside of the computer or whatever. And he walked up to me, started messing with the the top part of my BDU, my BDU dress, my fatigues. Um, And started to unbutton every single button from the top all the way down past my my waist. And at that point, like I had the, the blue belt on and it still had the, the, the extra slack on it. You know, when you first buy the, the blue belts, um, they make them extra long for whatever reason, and you're supposed to cut them down. But I hadn't gotten to that point yet. So it was a little bunched up underneath, but you wouldn't have known that had you kept your hands to yourself, right? Uh, so he started messing with the belt. Mind you, I'm standing there in the office, in my office, in front of another person. Just surprised and horrified so he's undoing the belt and I believe he even um, had unbuckled the pants 
and flung the jacket open that I had on, you know, the beat the the fatigue jacket, and had this look on his face, and made this scene. And like I was thinking sometime after that, I was like, well, hmm. Should I go to the military equal opportunity office, MEO, um, and file a complaint? And I'd even consulted with the guy that was over there. And he was in his best way. Um, said something to the effect of, "It's probably you could, but it." probably wouldn't be in your best interest to do so. Um, And I'm sure a lot of people that have been in situations in professional environments where it's you and like an executive or it's you and another high-ranking official and they're inappropriate with you publicly. Um, Or it's another situation you feel like they are abusing or take or using their position to coerce you into something that is unfair and you've consulted another person and just like it's probably not a good idea to even make it a big deal. Um because you know there's an age old story of there's always gonna be some kind of pushback or a scarlet letter or some kind of stain or whatever. Um, so I chose not to go, go through with it. Um, but that was definitely a turning point, um, also in mental health and my mental illness journey where it was just like, yeah, this is not turning into a productive, functional, um, supportive environment. Um, you know, it's not a new thing in that culture, in any military culture, where it's like two kinds of officers, ones that came in through like the community college and did OTS, who are complete assholes, and you have some officers in the forces that were prior enlisted, they're awake, more chill, way more laid back. Um, isn't out to bother people or be bothered um, or bother some. Um, and this particular guy who was a major at the time was somebody that came up through OTS. Um, but I low-key also think he didn't like black people. Um, and you know, it, that kind of thing is nuanced anyway as to how you treat people of color and black people versus people that are not, uh, either through favoritism, um, arrogance, things of that nature. And, you know, it was, we were in Texas, you know, we're all over the place. Um, and, you know, it was, I, I decided not to go through with it, but that added an extra layer. In addition to, like, n- not being valued, not being recognized, uh, not, seeing at, not seen as equitable or equal, even though the work and the merit was there. Like, what's, what's so hard about that? So imagine, you know, coming back from the Middle East, um, Kuwait to be exact, in mid-fall of 2001, and things just kind of going awry. Because um, although that experience was good for the most part, it also occurred during 9-11. I was over there during 9-11 in remained over there short time thereafter and I just um I just broke 
in class. Um, my my experience, or I guess how I expressed it, was different than those of the people that were around me when I decided to admit myself to a psychiatric hospital off base for about a week. And that was inpatient, um, in a group setting, you know, different bays, had a, you know, a, a front desk area, psychiatric staff, you know, the whole one flow of the cuckoo's nest kind of experience, right? Um, and I was there with, like, other military people um, who were either National Guard or Reserve, but also the local people in town that were also admitted there for whatever reason. Um, I went there in 2002. Um, after seeing a social worker for about almost a year and a half. Um, and I'd seen, you know, this guy kind of like flip out and just all this other stuff. And it was, it was like, damn, this is, I thought I had a bad, but that, I'm, that always reminds me that somebody else has it worse. And, you know, I've never stopped going to therapy. I never stopped going to inpatient, outpatient. I never slipped on my dedication to self-care. It's just, as you get older, you realize, you know, there are definitely different quantifiers and there are different ways you can achieve how you want things to be for yourself. Um, what kind of environment you want for yourself, how you want your life to be. And, you know, that that starts with the kind of people you want to share your space with. You know, I thought the turning point for me was that, you know, I'm going to leave the 20s as the only space that I make so many mistakes where I'm careless or reckless or not as smart or naive, um, you know, that can be said differently for other folks who are like in their 50s and 60s and they're still naive, and but they still want to act like they know everything. And it's like, how can you know everything when you're biased to one side who isn't even, who aren't even as open or transparent as you may think. Um, but, you know, even at my age of 39 years old, you know, I have dedicated myself, especially the last six years, um, in A, going for the gusto, never taking anything for granted, but also knowing when to get up and leave. And respect and love is not being reciprocated. Now, I started that as early as 24. Um, when I found that I was in an, in an environment that was not uh, reciprocative in any form or fashion of respect, loyalty, um, consideration, I did just like Pam, Gina's friend, and said, Pam, and I was out. Uh, what I realized around that time is that people, once people get comfortable, they get forgetful. And they just have to be told, like, this is a boundary, this is a boundary, this is not cool, this is not cool. And I'm not for this. This is not functional. Like, you washing everybody's clothes in this house in the same washing machine at the same time. 
talking about you want to save money, but you're not paying the bills to begin with. You're not really stepping up to the plate and honoring and putting me first a little bit more. Aside from the fact that, like, I'm always there for you, but I'm also making sure you have what you need um, and that we stay in, you know, the house that we share with, like, three other people. And it's like, for all that, I can't even get a decent week's sleep because you want to be up late impressing people right outside the bedroom door where I sleep. You're not working. I'm trying to keep a job. Um, temp work at that, just to have money. And you can't even respect that. Yeah, and I, you know, as years pass, I come to realize that I'm in control of myself. I can't control what somebody else chooses to do or chooses not to do and how they live their life. It's ultimately up to me as to what I accept and what I put up with. And with that, you know, I don't necessarily have to say yes for it to be okay. I can be silent and still be the same, mean the same thing. And as long as I am silent, I am implicit. And as long as I am silent, I give it a pass and I enable the bullshit. That was the turning point for me. And although, you know, I've had many a breakthroughs since my early 20s and many attitude adjustments and many moments of clarity as to saying what I want and making sure I get what I want for me and not in return, not paying attention to the smoke and the mirrors and the confusion. Like I have to, I have to put me first. Like, and let other people just continue to do the lame shit that they do. The moment that you see somebody do the lame shit that they do, that should be the answer. That should be the moment that you just accept, oh, that's that's who they are. And press the fuck on you know, there may be a couple of days, a couple of hours where, in between, where you're like, okay, is this something I want to tolerate? Is this something that I want in my life? Um, whether it outrightly affects you heavily or it doesn't affect you at all, um, yet. You do like a pros and cons, checks and balances, so to speak. And decide, like, is this what I want for me? Because believe whether or not you want to believe it, like, what somebody does or decides to do that's in your life ultimately will affect you. It may not happen right away. It may not happen for a week or so. But whether they're family or they're right up under you as a partner or a husband or a wife, it's going to affect you, whatever they say or decide or put into course of action. And there's a lot that comes with that, a lot of effect. And it can be it can be a plus or a minus. That too was also a turning point for me. But I don't know what is going on with me these days. I don't know if it's a seasonal thing. I 
Um, but I'm not, I'm failing to process things properly. Now, I'm normally not one to lash out, but I realize there are some things I have not opened up about. Never been to therapy in a while. Um, so it may just be worth me revisiting that that avenue in the area that I am in now. Um, before I, I moved, you know, the pandemic just made it harder for me to even step foot into a, a large psychiatric building for sessions. Because believe it or not, that larger city over there, a lot going on. Uh, and the building that I used to go to for a while, almost two or three times a month for 10 or 11 years, um, you have people from all walks of life coming in there. Some well-kept and some not. Um, some right off the street. Um, you can tell they've been brown bagging it. Um, so me already being on on one about cleanliness and being sanitary and not um, in life anyway, but then in a whole uh, pandemic, yeah, I wasn't going to step foot into that place at no point in 2019, 2020, even this year. Um, but there's my primary care did put me in touch with a couple of resources as far as um, psychiatry, psychology, psychologists or whatever. And at some point I'm gonna exercise that. I was not myself this morning. Um, I absolutely hated everything that was going on. And I lashed out and in return, I hated myself for it. But we must always remember to like not beat ourselves up because that can potentially make it worse. And to not uh, go too hard in the paint on other people, especially loved ones. Um, Yeah, I was so apologetic. Oh, right. He was so understanding, and I gotta make it up to him. This whole thing cannot have come up at the worst time. This car situation. Like, this close to Thanksgiving and this close to Christmas when I haven't even, like, picked anything out or gotten that situation even cleared away. But we're going to get it together and we're going to gonna rock it out. So I wanted to get on here and share with you guys what's going on. You know, one of the things I've struggled with, another thing I've struggled with is I could be having a pretty typical day. Feeling good, very confident, really low. I live a really low drama life anyway, so there's not anything that's always lingering. Um, but it could be just one conversation that just didn't go right for whatever reason, and I'm ready to bounce. I don't know where that comes from. Do any of you relate? Like, when I was working at SSA, I was, I had like, I remember one time I had a conversation just, it wasn't bad or dramatic or condescending or anything in that manner. Like, I have conversations all day. But for whatever reason, this particular conversation just blew the wind out of my sails. And it wasn't even one where I had a want or a need to get out of to get out of it. I was just like, all right, yeah, I'm leaving. It was like one o'clock in the afternoon. I was probably like an hour and a half 
away from getting off work anyway. And I was just like, yeah, I'm leaving. Bye-bye. But surely some of y'all can relate. And, but even that that time in my life was tumultuous because it was like, y'all giving us a bunch of work that is neither aiding in our career development or conditioning us for higher-grade positions or for more responsibility. I don't know why leadership feels like busy work is the way to get somewhere. It's not. And that shit does more harm than good. But we're in a new normal right now where I think a lot of executives and bosses are realizing, yeah, this is not the gotcha we think it is. And, you know, it's starting off with people realizing that remote and hybrid will be the new, the new, you know, permanent hybrid remote work will be the the direction we'll be going. And I'm pretty sure that'll open the door for other things, different approaches to interpersonal relationships or dynamics or approach to the industry that we are in or, you know, as far as the workplace. So this is Mr. Fox of the Average Views Podcast, and be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you see us. We are on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on seven other streaming platforms. We also have a blog. We also are, like I said, on YouTube. Be sure to check that out. Um, the content here that you're listening to will not always be the same content that's on YouTube. We're also on Patreon. We have about four or five videos over there. You know, rates real low, really trying to diversify the content, um, and keep things going really serious since I have nothing but time these days. Um, but be sure to check us out. You know, we're about a third of the way through the third season of the I Refuse podcast on streaming. There's a lot of material here on streaming. Um, Be sure to take a gander. We have roughly about 10 or 15 videos on YouTube. Just kind of sharing our opinions on whatever is hot and juicy to us and whatever we care about. Um, So yeah. It's great to uh, to get on here and discuss with you guys and be more vulnerable, more open. As a black male, uh, be sure to stay tuned. We try to have new content on these streaming platforms every week. Um, Sometimes I'll hit like a blitz and do like three or four episodes in one week and then like space it out where you won't have anything for, like, another two weeks. But as long as it's fresh and popping, and I know you got as much time as we do, who are y'all to complain, right? Nevertheless, this is, like I said, Mr. Fox of the Irish Huge Podcast, um, and I will catch you guys later. Bye.